0: This is 20 by 20, a podcast from Newcastle University's School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape, where we ask leading architects, urbanists, designers and thinkers to reflect on the ideas, inspirations and interests that shape their practice and their views on the present and future of architecture and cities. It's 20 questions in 20 minutes with me, Owen Hopkins. With a very straightforward question, the first of, of the 20. Can you tell us who you are and what you do?
1: I'm Narinda Sagu. I'm trained as an architect. I'm an artist. I'm a senior partner at Foster and Partners. I've worked here since I was a student, um, and here I am today <laughs> in the office. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, unusually um, for, for everyone else, it's wonderful to be looking at you. This is not something that, that the uh, listeners can can uh, can experience, but I have this wonderful view of you in the Foster's studio with the Thames, and I can see traffic going over one of the bridges. Is it Chelsea Bridge mm. possibly? Um, so, can you tell us what you're currently working on?
1: We um, we're very fortunate. We we've got projects, as everyone knows globally all over the world um, and, and so even though we're not traveling at all anywhere at the moment from a day to day even from home uh, I've always felt this that we're traveling constantly and so we're working from anything from uh, you know we're doing competitions which of course bring business in we're working on an airport in Europe as a competition we've been working on a, a, a very tall Tower for a bank in uh, New York, which is still live and kicking and full steam ahead. And at the same time, we've been working on um, um, wonderful little gem of gem of projects like uh, like a little winery in Kent. So we've all of our projects range from the macro to micro, from urban scale uh, visions of cities in the Middle East, new places that don't yet exist, which are very, very exciting, um, to the very humble uh, and the very uh, real close to home um, pieces of architecture that also contribute to uh, to the world around us. So it's, it's, it's a massive range of things that I'm working <laughs> on.
0: So <laughs> keeping very busy. Um, so looking Kind of back to the sort of the, 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 the I guess, the origins of, of, of your, um, your sort of interest and your career in architecture. Can you um, trace that to a particular moment? When, when did you know that you wanted to be an architect?
1: Well, I think about this all the time. I, I was very fortunate that I grew up uh, in a family that was very creative. We weren't very well off at all. And because of that necessity, uh, my father and grandfather, who were makers—a carpenter and a metal worker—creativity was a, a necessity to to survive. You know, to fix the car, to take the engine out, change it, to make furniture, um, to repair everything we had. It was—I I didn't realize at the time how fortunate I was, but creativity was there. My mother and grandmother were seamstresses, so they would use the same chalk that my father was using on um, metal on fabric, they'd be cutting it in different ways. And and so therefore drawing and making for me became something that was just natural. It was just a way of life. Uh, and then through school, where I guess I was on the kind of fast moving education um, train that everyone enters at four years old, um, I, felt, um, I, I felt that creativity kind of kept um, learning alive for me. So I would draw through um, nearly all my subjects and use drawing as a way of understanding and learning. And then uh, and then when I got to kind of A level pre-university, I discovered architecture and it just was uh, inevitable for me to enter a profession where creativity, making and fundamentally, I think um, because of my the way I've been brought up, again as a Sikh, changing and improving people's lives, those three things were um, uh, all encompassing within the field of architecture. So I guess I I may have realized when I was maybe two or three years old that I wanted to be an architect. I just didn't know what it was called.
0: And what, what was what was the kind of the, the the route the route from there? Where did you study, and how did you end up? working at a way you do now at Foster's?
1: Right, so I, uh, I hadn't studied art at, at kind of GCSE A level, but I'd done things like graphic communication and engineering drawing, which I don't know if it still exists, but um, that helped me build up a portfolio um, which uh, I could use for interviews. I was told that I wouldn't have the grades to enter architecture, which may have been true, Made me work even harder, I think, um, and so I was sent by the school to um, visits at Leeds Building College, I grew up in Leeds, uh, for a bricklaying course and an uh, electricians course and so on, um, and I think that just motivated me even more to kind of try a bit harder, build a portfolio, and try to get into architecture school. So I was really mu- very much discouraged, but um, I found a place close to home in Leeds. Metropolitan University, um, the portfolios stood well. And but also in the kind of interviews, I remember, we all had to pick up a pencil and draw um, an object in front of us, which came so naturally to me, because of the, you know, I've been drawing as, as as long as I can remember. And so really, regardless of any qualification, the kind of that moment of being able to draw um, got me into my undergrad. So I did um, my three years undergrad at, at, at Leeds. Um, and then I was, uh, I was very fortunate that a, a director from Foster and Partners at the time came to give a lecture uh, at Leeds. And I'm, I'm very grateful until this day that he did. Because as soon as I met him and as soon as I watched his talk, I knew that I wanted to work for Norman. Um, and I guess the key difference in my mind in the moment of determination was that I wanted to work with Norman and not for him. And, and, and I, I always tell people that sometimes it's one word that can make a huge difference to the rest of your life. And, and so I did a year. I got long story short. I got a year placement at Foster and Partners. Um, I did work with Norman throughout that whole year. I then went to the Bartlett to um, undertake my master's uh, studying with Peter Cook, Christine Hawley, CJ Lim in real magical times at, at the Bartlett. And then I returned to uh, work with Norman um, um, almost 23 years ago. So all in all, I was, you know, it's been a 25-year uh, so far uh, here at Foster & Partners but you know that's a kind of really short synopsis but there's there's details in there which I've always felt would be very helpful to those wanting to enter architecture.
0: You've mentioned drawing a few times and obviously this is something that you're 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 known for in 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 the architecture community Um, but just to ask a very I suppose simple question but maybe there's a very complex answer but why is drawing so important to architecture?
1: Well, you kind of said it in your question. Um, drawing, I find, is a way of uh, it's you know very it's a it, it's a democratic platform. It has no prejudice. It it only allows uh, improves communication. But like you said, it's a way of telling very complex stories sometimes in the simplest possible way. It's very honest. Um, it can be very naive. We use drawing, um, you know, people do think of drawing within architecture of just being final solutions or beautiful presentation drawings, but the way I use drawing, and I always have, is for taking notes, for asking questions, for sitting side by side with our clients and teams, um, turning words into uh, early thoughts, visual thoughts, that can ask another thousand questions, or maybe somehow uh, have some kind of solution in there somewhere, but they, I found, I find drawing, uh, it's, it's another language for me, and I use it um, as well as talking and writing. And funny enough, drawing and writing have kind of um, amalgamated for me over time and become the same. But um, I, I use it as a language, you know, and it's a very powerful one. I, I kind of entered architecture thinking everyone could draw. And all architects would just, you know, do beautiful drawings at drawing boards, which they did when I think when I first started. Um, but there are very few people who have carried on that tradition. And so for those of us who do draw, uh, and that's a conversation itself, because I believe everyone can draw. We've just been discouraged, perhaps. Um, it's an incredibly powerful tool, uh, even more so than any computer software or um you know hardware that we that we have
0: I'm, I'm interested in that idea of of it you talked about drawing almost as this kind of transcendent thing actually mm. um it cuts across so many different things um but it's something that is also very particular and it's produced using certain tools certain media could you could you talk a little bit about that are there yeah. some particular drawing tools or media that you keep coming back to that you're, yeah. that you're comfortable with
1: i've never felt i've I've never actually felt that I'm as good as I want to be at drawing. And, <laughs> and, I, and I think that's, I never want to let that go because I feel like I'm always learning. So I surround myself with an, a talented team that inspires me and, I, and they draw in different ways and I learn from them constantly. Um, but I did spend a good 10 years or so, um, and when this practice was smaller, uh, drawing by myself and not in a team. And I felt I was learning the language of drawing for for all of that time. I must have drawn about 10,000, 12,000 drawings um, for hundreds of projects until I felt that I learned the language. And the language was very much determined by the tools. So for example, we have 20 minutes to do this podcast. And and if I was doing a 20 minute drawing, I would use um, a fast flowing pen you know, maybe a fountain pen like this one, it's got a bold flowing nib that ink can just pour out or a, or a roller ball or a biro uh, on paper that's not so restrictive. And then I used to use, to slow myself down for more considered longer conversation uh, with the pen or pencil, I would use a much finer pencil or a finer 0.1 pen on paper that's perhaps a little bit more precious And that would just slow me down, and slow my thinking, and slow down the kind of um, the thoughts and conversations that came through the ink. So I used to use different tools to do that, and that was really kind of developing a discipline. And you know, if anyone um, wants to kind of pursue this kind of career, I think you know you have to really dedicate many years and a lot of time to to learning the language before we can kind of speak fluidly, but the tools are incredibly important. And nowadays, of course, you know, I've got in front of me this fountain pen, which I use in my sketchbook, but I've also got the Apple Pencil, so I can draw digitally, I can draw in my sketchbook. uh, And at the same time, even on calls like this, if we're using uh, our lockdown tools of Teams and Webex, I can draw live. I can draw globally uh, in a in a team of two or a team of two hundred. Um, it, it makes no difference. But so the you know the digital pencil now has given me infinite amount of tools to even not just draw but paint as well. Mm again you've
0: you've you've superseded some of my questions because I, I was going to ask um and, and we are rapidly running out of time which is as as predicted um <laughs> but about that about drawing collaboratively because you know when one thinks of drawing you think of you know sitting down with a with with a, a pen or a pencil and a piece of paper and it's something that's quite personal but drawing collaboratively is as, as i understand it it's quite sort of fundamental to how yeah. to a lot of the work that you do working closely with, with with colleagues
1: for me um i i can't draw anything unless i've got something to say and so drawing is always a conversation and you can't have a conversation by yourself of course you can but ultimately that's con- it's a conversation with other people um so collaboration is absolutely fundamental uh, to what i do and what we do as a team
0: drawing is obviously something that's integral to your working life um, and I, I was wondering, is it something that you can do to relax as well? Is it something that 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 kind of is part of your kind of leisure time? If we if we kind of cling to that kind of work leisure sort of dichotomy, yeah. um, it, yeah. do, you, do you do you draw for fun as well?
1: I I, I do for sure, um, particularly during the last six months of being at home, I've um, discovered drawing, I've been drawing memories from when I was a child, I've been drawing my dad's workshop, I've been drawing the home that I grew up in um, as a way of remembering but also as a way of observing detail in history. I've been drawing with my children so I take my sketchbook to the park and I've just been uh, recording their childhood in the park with loose sketches and at the same time um, pushing myself out of my comfort zone, which is what I like doing all the time. And it's easier to do it in a more relaxed um, situation in your personal time and, and and drawing in a different style and drawing in a different way. And then I always find that those personal drawings in my own time absolutely inform what I'm doing professionally uh, in the practice. So even painting, I only discovered uh, painting on canvas, acrylics and oils about ten years ago, and that's then transformed into uh, sometimes physical painting but often digital painting in the practice. So the two I mean i'm I'm always drawing, uh, but the two do help one another.
0: Is there a particular architect or artist or, or I guess sort of drafts person who whose work you admire that, that's been the most sort of influential? On you? Is, is, there, is there someone that you can pick out as, as, as being this sort of key, key person for you?
1: Well, I'm very lucky, you know, that I've worked with Norman for so long. I've I felt like I've learned a lot from him. Um, I've, I've watched him draw thousands of times and speak and think and draw at the same time. Of course, he's major inspiration. Uh, I'm surrounded by very talented colleagues. There's been people like Birkin Howard. Uh, Helmut Yacobi that uh, we used to work with uh, many years ago. But then I'm influenced, uh, I know you and I met at the John Soane Museum, and I used to go in there when I first came to London. It's still my favourite place in London. And I would look at Joseph Gandhi's um, cutaway of the Bank of England and just pore over the detail and pore over the kind of decision-making and which has influenced many of my drawings since. Cutaways of airports, telling complex stories in simple ways. We're constantly referring to artists in history, but also today we're very fortunate through things like Instagram that I'm influenced. As soon as I turn on my phone, I'm following artists um, from around the world, whether they're professional or or kind of drawing in, in their own leisure time. We're very lucky to have that inspiration around us all the time. So I'm, I follow people um, uh, on Instagram to inspire myself. There's not one person, but many, many. And I think, uh, I think it's good also to have an open mind to be inspired by, by, um, uh, by everyone around you and, and not just kind of one or two people. We're in a very lucky position right now, I think, with social media. Is there, Do you have
0: a favourite drawing that you've done, or sort of one that you're that you're most happy with, and um, that you can point to that and say, "Yeah, I nailed it." <laughs>
1: uh, it's interesting. I've been going through a lot of drawings at home, um, and and, um, and there are of course some favourites. You know, of when I was uh, much younger, my involvement on projects like uh, Thirty Cent Mary's Axe, the Gherkin um, on Wembley Stadium, um, on the Millau Viaduct, perhaps Trafalgar Square, um, and then key drawings where I've spent a lot of time. Um, um, you know, aerial visions of London uh, in the future. I'm very fond of, and I have uh, at home. There are very few that I'm that I particularly like, and. And that's a real problem I have. I can go through all my drawings and maybe pick out four or five from 15,000 that I really, really like because they're not, at the time, they weren't meant to be beautiful drawings. They were just meant to be pieces of a conversation. (laughs) Um, But what I have discovered is when you go back in time and you look at your portfolio, when those buildings get built and when those projects are realised, the drawing uh, becomes a different, uh, it manifests itself into... Um, something else. It's truly a moment of vision making, and the the paper and the ink takes on another value. Um, so, on projects like Apple Park, very early conversations, making storyboards with Steve Jobs and the team were real wonderful moments in 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 my career. So I'm particularly fond of those as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So did did you did you work with Steve Jobs himself then? Was-
1: Um, I, I never met him personally, but I would, um, sit with the team when they would come back from, um, weekly meetings from California and change, turn words into drawings. Mm. And, um, like I said earlier, some of them were just to say, um, you said this, but is this what you mean or have we got it wrong? They were just, we, you know, wonderful ways of asking questions. But I remember thinking that um, Apple had a very close affiliation with Pixar, Pixar uh, create these wonderful animated movies, the way they think is through storyboarding, um, first in black and white, and then adding colour and colour scripts. So I remember that early opportunity to work with Apple was also this insight into Pixar uh, and the film industry and um it changed the way i thought about storytelling i think which is quite exciting so we're
0: we're, so i think we're over time now
1: (laughs) so i've got i've got a few kind of rapid fire
0: um quick answer questions um now i'm I'm, the plan is to ask architects is is there a building that they wish they had designed um by someone else and i'm gonna so you can either answer that one or you can ask is there a drawing that you'd wish you'd drawn uh and maybe you've already answered it mentioning that Gandhi, um but is is there is there another or is or is there a building that that you kind of look at and think uh, you know i wish i'd done that that's uh, that's fantastic
1: i'm st- s- sitting next to the hong- a model of the hong kong bank which is <laughs> way way before my time and it's a model that's exactly the same age as me i was too young <laughs> obviously but i really wish i'd i'd been born 15 20 years before and had worked on some of these amazing projects. Yeah. Um, but uh, for sure, I mean, I'm very fond of um, other practices' work. You know, Richard Rogers, Lloyd's Building, the Pompidou. I wish I'd worked on the Pompidou for sure.
0: Those those photos of, of, of the team. It look it looks like they had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as I'm sure they did at HSBC as well. I mean, they're these two defining projects of that of that moment. Um, Absolutely. So even even more rapid-fire questions, um, and these these are meant to be a little bit irreverent, so so go, go yeah. with it, if that's okay. okay. Is architecture a science or an art? Uh, both. Both, okay. Uh, city or countryside? City. I'm not going to ask Foster or Rogers. I'm going to ask Palladio or Cabousier.
1: Cabousier. What's your favourite city? Gosh, it has to be London. I've, I can't I, I, I haven't left since I came here. And I don't think I could ever leave. It's got everything we need.
0: <laughs> and I, I mean London would have been mine, and I've just moved to Newcastle, so uh...
1: but I, but I, I do I do really really miss New York. I, we, we travel quite often to New York, and over the last six months, I've really missed it. It's a wonderful city.
0: Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future? Optimistic for sure. And finally, if there is one bit of advice you would give to an aspiring architect or student, what would it be?
1: Question everything. Never take the obvious for granted. Um, question everything, even the question. Be the naive student or child in the classroom that puts their hand up and says, "I don't get it." If you can become that person, I think you you master everything. You you innovate, you lead, you create and you become, uh, I think, truly great through, through that spirit. Well, that's, that's great. That's a really
0: inspiring way to end. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to 20 by 20, a podcast from Newcastle University School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape. Stay tuned for more episodes, write a review or give us a rating and be sure to follow us on your preferred podcast platform.